So I, I don't know if we want this podcast to be more therapeutic or you know exactly what we need this to be. Um, but for both of us, outside, if we're looking at this from our fandom standpoint, definitely a disappointing tournament uh, for both of our teams. Yeah, there's uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, it's actually painful a little bit for me to even think about again and trying to get over it as a fan it's i would say that this was more difficult than when the D- the diakinte like virginia game i think is it was more painful than that well i think with that one i mean you guys weren't supposed to win that one i mean right. you weren't supposed to beat tennessee in the sweet 16 um, and you did. I mean, Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein, that tournament run that the Boilers went on that year was a little bit unexpected. Right. Um, but, but I mean, this year, I mean, Purdue ranked number one for the first time all year, had glimpses of the best team in the country. Right. Um, and then for it all, and I mean, being honest, played very well against Yale, played very and then I, I, man, I don't know what it is about St. Peter's. I mean, they just they took their first three opponents, um, and just really got them out of their rhythm, yeah, a little bit. Um, and then a, as far as Kentucky goes, I, I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, that there's, you know, I, well, we were the first upset. Obviously, we were the main headline upset of the entire tournament. I mean, I don't – when people remember the 2022 NCAA tournament, it is going to be the Kentucky-St. Peter's upset. That That's what it's going to be. Um, and, and here's where I will go as a Kentucky fan. I see lots of people – so the, the Kentucky fan base right now is really divided. And actually, this has caused me uh, to go two completely different ways um, on my Kentucky fandom. So you have – one group of fans that says, oh, well, look at all the good that John Calipari has done. And for a long time, I was in that camp. Like, oh, well, who else are we going to go with who would do a better job? But at Kentucky, the standards of what you have to accomplish are a little bit different for a head coach. Kentucky has not made a Final Four since 2015. Kentucky has not won an NCAA tournament game since 2019 that's unacceptable now granted one year was canceled for covid and that kentucky team probably was peaking at the right time who knows what would have been but for a kentucky team to lose in the first round to saint peter's is completely unacceptable and that was on the heels of the worst season not just of the calipari era but in the history of Kentucky basketball. And so for me, Cal, it's Elite Eight or bust next year for him. If you get to the Elite Eight, you know, it's anybody's ballgame. But if we don't see tremendous change in Lexington next year, I think that seat needs to get a little bit warm uh, for Mr. Calipari. So – but I think if we look at this tournament outside of our fandom, um, it's been a great tournament. Yeah. I mean, it really has. I mean, you've had upsets, 
but not to the point of complete and total chaos. Um, I mean, going back to that first day, I think at one point, double-digit seeds were 500 against um, their single-digit counterparts. So, I mean, you look whether that was um, New Mexico State knocking off UConn, whether that was Richmond knocking off Iowa, I, Michigan knocking off Colorado State, St. Peter's knocking off Kentucky. Uh, just that first day of the tournament was a whole lot of carnage yeah. um, across the board. Yeah, and I think um, outside, I'm, you know, everybody's going to say that the St. Peter's-Kentucky game would, would be the game of that day. Um, but if we had to take that game um, out of the equation, to me, uh, the game of that day was Richmond, Iowa. I think um, a game in where everybody thought the high scoring Hawkeyes were a dark horse to be in the NCAA tournament championship. You know, a lot of people had Iowa playing in the final four, Dickie V being one that had Iowa playing in the final four. Um, playing their best basketball there at the end of the season and kind of just laid an egg. Richmond really played to their strengths and Iowa could not score the basketball like they're used to. This is an Iowa team that was averaging 88 points a game in their last six and they struggled to score the basketball in the first round of the tournament. And when you do that, teams like Richmond, you know, these small schools they have nothing to lose. They are coming into this tournament expected to be one and done. But if you let a team like that hang around as long as Richmond did, now all of a sudden that belief becomes reality. And now all of a sudden you're looking in about getting into a battle. And I think that was one of the most outside of obviously the Kentucky St. Peter's game um, one of the most disappointing games for especially a Big Ten fan because of how well Iowa's playing down the stretch. Well, you look at that first day of the tournament, you have three overtime games. Obviously, you know, you touched on Kentucky, St. Peter's, but then you look Creighton, San Diego State, and Murray State and San Francisco. All those games went to overtime. So it was just constant, competitive, high-end basketball. And then you counteract that with Friday, we really didn't see that. I mean, you had the Miami USC game that was close, the Illinois Chattanooga game, which I mean, that might have been the game of that day. Of um, that day, I mean, the idea person, the mock should have beat Illinois. I yeah. mean, a hundred percent, they played better that day. And then you have the Michigan State Davidson game that was close. Um, but I think overall that day two of the tournament, a little bit of order was restored after the chaos that was Thursday. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like this is a day where everything kind of happened how it was supposed to happen. Outside of maybe Notre Dame going first four to second round, very surprising win for the Irish to beat Alabama there. Um but man, that Illinois you talk you touched on that Illinois Chattanooga game. The idea that Illinois led that game for 14 seconds and it was the last 14 seconds, unbelievable. Well, and then I mean you even counteract that 
you know, the same sort of way with the Miami USC game. I mean, Miami was up 11 at half and USC storms back, takes a lead late only to have Miami jump back ahead. And, and one thing that I think you saw, you know, was, and we talked about, we got this dead wrong. You know, we're talking about how the ACC is down. The ACC is a weak conference, this, that, and the other. Obviously, you know, you fast forward to the second weekend of the tournament, three out of the eight Elite Eight squads are from the ACC. Right. Um, but, I mean, you started to see Notre Dame just laid the wood on Alabama. You, you have Virginia Tech who, you know, obviously lost to a pretty good Texas team. But you started to see the teams that progressed past this first weekend really start to play a little bit better. Um, and, I mean, you and I have talked about at length that it's about playing well when the tournament hits. Yep. And so jumping then to that second weekend, well, really, I mean, obviously on Saturday, you know, you had your first one seed go down with Baylor going down. Yeah, uh, that that to me is the game of the tournament right there as of now. North Carolina, Baylor. Um, I think – from a competitive standpoint, watching Baylor storm back down 26, you know, you just a complete flip of the switch, right? When North Carolina was just on fire, there was nothing that was going to stop the Tar Heels. Then all of a sudden, Manic gets ejected, completely turns that game around. Right. Well, it's a 25 point game with 10 minutes left. Right. And that's when 25 point game with 10 minutes left. And that was when Manic got ejected for the flagrant two, correct? Yep. And then all of a sudden, then Baylor storms back, forces overtime. And I guarantee you, 95% of people were sitting at home saying, this game is over. Baylor is winning this basketball game. No chance the number one seed. Baylor Bears come back down 25-26 or however it was, force overtime to lose to UNC. And all of a sudden, that's exactly what happened. UNC goes on a tear in overtime, plays very well, responds, and wins 86-93. To me, that was the start of how UNC is now all of a sudden, fast forward, now in the Final Four. I mean, Baylor goes on a 38-13 to 13 run over the last 10 minutes and 49 seconds of that ballgame. And lo- the idea that you can score essentially four points a minute, first of all, that offensive efficiency is unbelievable. Yeah, no doubt. Is this crazy? I mean, at that point, UNC 99.9% win probability. (laughs) Um, You know, it's just one of those where you're sitting here and you're like, it's, I mean, it really was. It was a truly remarkable basketball game. The other game from that second round that surprised me a little bit was how easily UCLA handled St. Mary's. Um, that was a game where I thought 
that St. Mary's would maybe show a little bit more. Um, and I mean, they, they hung tough. I mean, at the 1430 mark of the second half, it's like 4139. But really after that, I mean, UCLA just kind of laid the smack on them to the tune of a 16-point win. Um, at that point, you start thinking, well, maybe UCLA has something here. You have Michigan knocking off Tennessee. Um, and then obviously St. Peter's continuing that run against Murray State. Um, but you moved to Sunday. And Sunday was the first time that I started to get a little worried about Arizona as my championship pick. Yeah. With having with having to go to overtime against TCU, it's wait, maybe they're not playing as well as we think they are. Um, but the headline for me that Sunday, there were two. The smackdown that Miami gave Auburn and the smackdown that Houston gave Illinois. Really yeah. throughout the year, I mean, Illinois and Auburn were both talked about as title contending teams. Right. And they both, I mean, Auburn loses by 18 in a game that wasn't an 18-point game. And, I mean, Houston beats Illinois by 15 in a right. game that they only led by four at halftime. Um so, I mean, you're looking at – I mean, that game was a five-point game with four minutes left. And then to close it out, Houston goes on a 14-4 to four run. Right. Yeah, and, and so I, you look – No, um, I, I was just going to agree with you that how, you know, crazy it was to just watch Houston offes- offensively play as well as they did and get anything that they wanted against Illinois. You know, Kofi Coburn was really a non-factor in that game. Um, And even looking at um, an Auburn team that a lot of us picked to go deep into the tournament, um, just be dismantled by, again, an ACC school that we had sat back and said, these ACC teams are weak. Outside of Duke, who do they have? All of a sudden, Miami looks at at a – Sweet 16 game and ends up in the Elite Eight. Um, just crazy to me. Um, and then from a fandom standpoint, watching Purdue do what they did to a Chris Beard-led Texas team made my heart sing. Um, that, just, that had to exercise a few demons of the past. Yeah, it did. It absolutely did. Um, and it was also nice to watch Purdue close a game out um, from the free throw line. It was very refreshing um, it gave me false hope, obviously, um, but I was like, honestly, when Purdue won that game, I was, I was like, this is it, man. Like, if you're getting by Texas now, all of a sudden you're looking at St. Peter's in a Sweet 16 game, and then you're either getting UCLA or UNC as Baylor loses your one seed, as Kentucky loses your two seed. The road was. It was the stars were aligning, as one would say. But there was a little comet that looked like a peacock, and it just came out of nowhere and struck our hopes down. Well, and, and I think you know, one thing we have to touch on is again the letdown that is the Big Ten. Yep. I mean, 
two and four in second round game. I mean, that Sunday alone, you have Illinois, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin all losing. I mean, the Wisconsin loss to Iowa State was one of the more shocking losses of the tournament to me. The the Duke-Michigan State, okay, yeah, Michigan State is not on the same level as Duke. They're just not. Um, besides Illinois laying an egg in the last four minutes to Houston, uh, just watching Wisconsin really – and, I mean, again, having seen that Wisconsin team in person, the ineptness that they showed in the second half on offense against Iowa State was – really kind of surprising. I mean, only scoring 26 in the first half, 23 in the second half. Um, Just a little bit surprising to see from Wisconsin. But again, this is now the narrative for the Big Ten. It's underperformance after underperformance after underperformance. And at some point, you have to start wondering when is, you know, reality going to hit people that, hey, Maybe this Big Ten style of basketball that they play, maybe it doesn't translate into March. Right, and I agree with that. But I think huge thing about Wisconsin was losing Chucky Hepburn um, early in that first half. Him going down with an ankle injury, um, coming out in a boot. He really was the floor general for that Badger team. Um, and you saw right there that then Iowa State was just able to key their defense on Johnny Davis and really shut down that Badger offense and who really struggled to score once Hepburn was sidelined for the rest of the game. So then we moved to the Sweet 16. Um, and really, I mean, the tone was set on Thursday of the Sweet 16 with um, Gonzaga going down and Arizona going down, both on the same nights. Um and, and I mean, I don't know about you, but the second that Gonzaga beats or Gonzaga gets beat by Arkansas, that was kind of like, huh, Duke's going to the final four. Yeah. It, it was just one of those where you're like, everything has set up perfectly for Coach K. Yep. It, there's no doubt. Um, that was my first thought as soon as Gonzaga lost because I felt like that was the only uh, bump in the road for Duke was going to be playing Gonzaga just because of the, the size of Gonzaga, I think would give Duke problems. Um, and the way that uh, Gonzaga plays offense so fast, uh, their, their ball screens, their actions off the ball are very difficult to defend. And I felt like Duke was going to have problems with that. Um, but obviously now, as, as we see, it's it didn't matter. Um, so, um, well, and I think the interesting thing then too was so in the West region, obviously you have that, but then in the South region, um, Michigan obviously surprising people making it to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, I, that Michigan Villanova game, you okay? This Villanova team, the big thing that stands out is the way that they play defense. I mean, they are just an absolute machine when it comes to the defensive end. Now, if you get in a running gun game, I don't know if Villanova can compete, and we'll get into that with our Final Four preview. Um, But, I mean, they shut Michigan down. And then you turn around that next game, 
Houston, I mean, yes, is is a 12-point game. But Houston never trailed in that basketball game. They went wire to wire against Arizona. Who you and I both said was, we thought, the team to beat coming into March. Uh, Correct. They they were playing their best basketball at the right time. Everything was really starting to come for the, you know, line up for them to be in the final four, to be in the national championship. But, you know, credit Kelvin Sampson as much as I hate to say that because I just, you know, I don't agree with a lot of the things he's done in his past. But what he's done at Houston, I mean, Turn them into a you can't right. I mean, you can't argue it. I mean, three years ago, 2019, um, Sweet 16, lost to Kentucky this year. I mean, taking Houston all the way to the Elite Eight. I mean, he has built what many would consider almost a mid-major into a perennial contender. Right. Um, and, and regardless of you know what he's done in the past, racking up a cell phone bill, um, <laughs> you know he he has still established that program there in Houston as a perennial power. So then we move to Friday. We're already down um, two one seeds. Well, at that point, we're down three one seeds. Um, and then really on that Friday. I don't want to say that the games were bland because obviously, but you take away the Purdue St. Peter's game. None of those games really stick out to me. The Purdue St. Peter's game does. And if we want to break it down real simply, and again, I don't want to call out individual players, but I think you saw players who were not coachable be uncoachable in the sweet 16. Yeah. I, I we I don't really know what happened. I saw the clip of, you know, the huddle on the sideline where Pate was trying to talk to Ji, and I don't know. I just it was just very it was a frustrating game for everybody. But in that instance, as a player of that caliber, you you would think he would be the one to just be like, listen, guys. If it's not working for me, I'm going to create and find you, you know. And to me, that's what great players do is that they don't just continue to look for their shot and force up bad shots because they're trying to get theirs. They create for their teammates because these defenses keen in on them. And that's exactly what St. Peter's did. They packed the lane. They said, guess what? You're going to have to beat us with your pull-up jump shot in Jaden Ivey's perspective. And – that is one thing J.I. just has struggled with all season long. And that pull-up jump shot, it's almost like sometimes he gets like into the air and he doesn't know what he wants to do. If he wants to just float it or shoot it or I, I don't know. But it doesn't, you know, everybody got mad at him and said it was on him and it was or it was on paint or it was on. I don't even it to me this is a team effort there was not a guy on that Purdue team that night where I said you know what these guys all played bad but at least this guy showed up it was just a struggle from every aspect of the team coaching well so here's 
I, I th- the reason that I want to go a little bit more towards coaching, and again, I, Matt Painter is a great coach. I mean, you listen to all of his former players talk. This was a game where Purdue's two most effective players by every single metric possible were Travion Williams and Zach Eady because St. Peter's had no answer for Travion Williams or Zach Eady. I mean, you look, Travion led the team in scoring. Zach Eady was five of seven. What stood out to me, and again, this is where I go, maybe it's a players not being coachable thing. I don't know exactly what it is. But in those last four minutes, it seemed like there was a whole lot of settling for jump shots. And I get Travion missed shots down the stretch. I'm not saying he didn't because he did. But when I'm sitting here and looking at, you know, the line from Purdue, I that was a game where I think Paint should have played Travion and Zach at the same time. Now, what do I know? I'm not Paint. I'm not in there. I don't know what they're – you know, I once heard that, you know, the hardest thing to do is go into halftime at a Super Bowl or a tournament game when you've been super successful the whole year and then say, okay, now we're going to change everything. That's the hardest thing to do in sports. But I think the little bit of criticism that I think is very fair for Paint is that he doesn't adjust well in games. In games. I agree. It is one thing that I've noticed is that teams adjust at halftime to Purdue and Purdue comes out and it seems as almost as if they do the same thing. And to me, defensively, um, one of the things I wish Purdue would implement just to throw at teams is some sort of half court pressure defense, whether it be like a trapping zone or a simple three, two, two, three zone, Something to switch up the look because one of the things Purdue struggled with most all season long was ball screen action. They struggled to defend the ball screen. So how do you take that away? If you run a zone, you can screen and there's guys waiting for you because you're guarding an area. You're not guarding a man. Um, To me, that could have helped or at least forced the team to be like, "Uh uh-oh, okay, this is not what they normally do. Now we're going to have to do something on the fly that we did not prepare for. Um, something like that in your back pocket in March is huge. And where does where do you see that happen? Coach K at Duke. Duke throws in a 2-3 zone, and all of a sudden everyone's like, what do we do? And we weren't prepared for Duke to run a 2-3 zone. And th- they've seen a lot of success with it. Well, that game against uh, Arkansas on Saturday. Um, so Arkansas goes on a run to start that second half, gets what was a double digit, so a 12 point halftime deficit. They trim it down to five at one point. Um, and then Shusevsky calls the timeout, throws in that zone. Just like you said, it's one of those things where, hey, good coaches adjust in game. And I mean, I hate to say, but until paint shows that, yeah, hey, he can adjust in game. 
you know, it's going to be just that same sort of, oh, here we go again for right. Purdue fans every single time that a game gets tight and watch. <laughs> yep. Um, but touching on that first game from Saturday night, um, and you and I were watching these games together, uh, that Villanova-Houston game, um, we will say kindly that it was a defensive struggle is what we will say nicely. Um, offensive struggle, I feel like. I mean, I don't know if it's best to say, you know, hey, just two really good defenses, but then you look no. at of 20 from three, and it's not like Villanova was too much better. They were five of 21, so it combined six of 41 from three, and the two teams combined together were 32 of 109 from the floor. Um, goo. That's not good. No. Um, and I've always been taught that if a game, if there's not a an, hundred points scored in a college basketball game in total, that it doesn't count. So final score 50, 44 doesn't count back to you, Bob. Now, if you want, besides the three point line, Villanova won this game from the free throw line. Yeah, absolutely. They 15 closed the of game 15 out. from the foul line. Yep. That's a kids yep. make your free throws. I mean, that that's here you go. You want to win a game, make your free throws. Right. That is a Jay Wright team, though. A team that is knows how to close games out, and a team that is disciplined enough to know, unlike Houston, that if something isn't working, maybe you need to find other ways to score like Villanova did. They got to the free throw line instead of continuing to huck up 25-footers. Now I get there comes a point in time where you're Houston and you're in desperation mode and you have to find the way to score the basketball. But in this instance, you have to find other ways to score if you're one of 20 from the th three-point line. Get to the bucket and get an old-fashioned three-point play. Go to the free throw line, score while the clock is stopped, and create some pressure defense full court. Do something other than throw up threes, miss, and then either foul the rebounder or try to play pressure man-to-man def -man defense full court. It did not work. It did not work, and to me, that's a coaching thing. That is a, a very well-coached Villanova team that figured out, I'm going to get to the line to close this game out. Well, and and when you look, if you – I'll just take the Kentucky game for a perfect example. Kentucky misses 12 free throws in that first half or in the game. You only shoot 65% from the floor. Fact of the matter is if Kentucky shoots a mediocre 70% from the floor, guess what? Kentucky wins the game. And then who knows after – because you have close calls all the time. They go on to win championships. They go on to make Final Fours because you get that first one out of the way. But guess what good teams do? Good teams make free throws when they count. Um, I felt Duke was the same way. Duke goes 16 of 18 from the floor. Arkansas, 11 from 11. What did all of these Elite Eight teams have in common? They were very, very good from the free throw line, minus Houston, who is only 64%. Um, then really, Sunday's games were incredibly anticlimactic. Um, and one, 
I mean, the second half, if that's the Kansas team that shows up this weekend in New Orleans, uh, I don't know if they can be touched. No. I I mean, 47 to 15 in that second half. Yeah, that is complete flip of the switch in that second half. A team, you know, Bill Self's man can he he could just flat out coach. Talk about halftime adjustments. You know, a team that was down six to a Miami team that had all the momentum in the world come out second half and turn the tide to a point. And man, what a flip of the switch on the defensive side to only give up 15 points in the second half and score 47 is impressive. And to me, right now, if you look at these final four teams, it's hard not to say that Kansas is not the best championship pick right now. After that, well, they're certainly, they're certainly, if that second half is what they are going to do, that's going to be tough. But as we transition to the final four preview, I, one of the things, man, uh, we need to start giving Jay Wright serious amounts of love. And I, you know, amongst college basketball fans, I think there is an insane amount of love for Jay Wright. But the dude is going for his third national title in the last six years. He's won in 16, 18, and now going for this. I mean, give me a coach who's had more success in the last seven, eight years. Yeah, I would almost say, like, as of right now, Jay Wright might be one of the most underrated coaches in college basketball. Um, what he does with his players, the success that comes out of Villanova every year from a bas- basketball perspective is phenomenal. And to me, I think that is a storyline, but unfortunately is outshadowed by the storyline that everybody is going to be talking about. And it's an unfortunate storyline, but from a college basketball podcast, we are required to talk about it. <laughs> um, that, of course, Coach K gets to a Final Four in his last season. It just has to happen, right? Yeah, and, you know. and I mean, how poetic that his opponent is North Carolina. And it's the first time that these two teams have ever played in the NCAA tournament. How crazy is that? Like, if you ask me, how many times did North Carolina and Duke play in the NCAA tournament? If you asked a random Joe on the side of the street, they're going to tell you, uh, maybe 12, 14, 15. You know, you just think that at some point, those two teams would have met in the, in the tournament. But... This is the first, and man, what a time for it to happen. Well, and you look, so this is Coach K's 13th Final Four. And what's interesting, so this is his 13th Final Four and his last year. Then you oppose that with Hubert Davis, who's in his first year as head coach, and his first Final Four. Um, It's insane to me that, you know, and it is kind of cool that in this, rivalry you have two coaches who are just complete opposite ends of their career um which i think is pretty cool 
Another storyline, though, Justin Moore's absence with Villanova. <laughs> yep. um, I mean, watching that game and seeing that just the snap ripple up the bat. Like, I don't understand why they have to show that stuff in slow motion. Um, but they but do. That, that was gruesome. Yeah. Um, what happened to him? And the reaction from teammates, the reaction from coaching staff. There was a little less excitement after that game because of that, of the huge hole that that leaves on their team. Um, does it affect Villanova? Yes, absolutely. Um, do they have enough depth to withstand probably the best team in the Final Four in Kansas? I, do, I just don't think so. I, I think that loss is going to be too hard to overcome. Um, I think Kansas right now is just a train rolling down the tracks, and I just don't see a way that Villanova can stop it. And, and you look, in that game specifically, the perimeter matchup for that between – Colin Gillespie, Remy Martin. Um, again, how does how do perimeter shooters react to playing with the sightlines of that dome? Yeah, I, that's always interesting to see. Um, especially, I mean, really, if you think about it, none of these teams played in the Final Four last year. None of, obviously, no one played in the Final Four in twenty twenty. So it's been since 2019 since any of these teams played in this huge open football stadium environment. So how those shots will be affected um, will be interesting for us to see. Can I take a side note here for a second? Absolutely. Okay, so Kentucky lost to Duke by eight the first game of the year. Okay? Uh Uh-huh. They beat Kansas by 18 in Lawrence, they beat North Carolina by 29. So they played three out of the final four teams, outscored them by 30, and they get beat by St. Peter's. Um, Purdue beats two of, of the final four teams. Yeah, it's just one of those where it's all about who gets hot when. Yep. And, and I mean, that that is why this tournament, as we get ready for its, you know, penultimate night on – Saturday is the greatest tournament in all of sports. Yeah, I would agree. There's just nothing like it. It's just, it's completely, completely undefeated and will forever be the best three weeks. I mean, you and I getting together on that Thursday, obviously I, again, I want to say thank you for, you allowing me to be at your house. Um, I've told people, I think that is the darkest moment of my sports fandom period. Um, the only other moment that's even close was Kentucky's loss to Wisconsin uh, in the final four of the year that we were 38. No. Yeah, that, that and I think a little bit added to that night was also the same night 
that Devontae Adams got traded. To Correct. Me. We we were primarily a football podcast, so Devontae Adams gets traded. Kentucky loses to St. Peter's. Uh, I was not in a good place Thursday night when it came to my sports fandom. No. Um, not, and not and I want to say thank you for being there for me. Uh, again, I don't think I broke anything in your house. Nope, you did um, not. It was it was always well. Um, and I think the craziest thing about that is, Josh, is you realize that I think I'm bad luck when it comes to Kentucky in the NCAA tournament because the one year Crystal and I drove over to your house. Correct. When you, when you lived on Ohio, right? Yeah, correct. Street? Yeah. And we drove over there to watch the Kentucky game with you and support you and help you. They lose that game. I don't even remember who they were playing. Uh, that was Kansas State. Okay. So they lose to Kansas State. And then this year, fast forward, we you come over to our house to watch the Kentucky game which I thought was going to be a pretty chill night. I'll be honest. (laughs) Everybody was like, this game's just going to be easy, squeezy, lemon peasy, you know, move on. And it ends up going the wrong way. So, well, I will tell you, there was one year in between. Um, So the 2019 tournament, we got together. Um. So we went to the Big Ten tournament, and then that next weekend we got together again. Was um, that when Purdue played Villanova? Yeah, so smacked them. Smacked them. Can, so Kentucky beat Wofford. That was that Wofford team that oh, everyone yeah. was picking to beat Kentucky that day. And Kentucky yes. beat them, and Purdue beat Villanova. So, like, we're, we're one and two is what I will say. Yeah, um, we so, are. You know, elite – I guess at least we have that. Um, but, yeah, man, you know, I again, I don't know exactly what my face said. on. Like, I don't know if Heartbreak. my facial expression was – Yeah, and I don't know if it was anger, if nope. it was – Heartbreak. Yeah, Which, and I think that was the thing. Like, that like was, you sit here and I don't – didn't know what to feel. <laughs> That was me, though. That was me on Sunday. That was – or no, was that Friday? Friday. Friday. That was me on Friday. I was – I think – so here's the crazy thing. I don't think I watched a minute of the next game. I stared at – the floor maybe for 50 minutes and did not look at the TV. And it was just heartbreak because the, like I had said previously, the stars were aligning for Purdue. It just, everything. I just, it was just, here's, here's the thing for both of our teams. With the way that North Carolina played that weekend, I don't know if either one of our teams can be North Carolina. Like, yeah. just being honest, I don't know with the way that they played against St. Peter's on Sunday, 
I don't know if either one of our teams could compete against them. Um, but just the idea that they never even got there. Um, it stinks. I, it does. And, you know, the thing, so we were actually uh, leaving on spring break that Saturday morning, and then we get to Lexington, and uh, we stay in a hotel Saturday night in Lexington, and there was just this kind of, like, eerie, just almost apathetic to the entire town of Lexington. And like what people don't understand really is these Kentucky, a lot of people in Kentucky now have nothing to look forward to until the Kentucky Derby. I mean, that that's, they have the cats and they have the Derby. And I mean, that's, you know, that's how their calendar moves. And, and there really was, there was this sense of, gloom a little bit and then so we go on spring break have a great trip we come back through we stop at a mall there in lexington all of their kentucky merchandise in their stores were 50 60 70 percent off wow so, so you know what i did oh you loaded up i loaded up because like hey you know i mean the sun's gonna come up next year we're gonna play college basketball again uh, i think 200 days until big blue madness yeah. Um, but and it, it's, it's one of those things where, but it's also the beauty of sports. I mean, I, yeah. that's one of the things that, you know, I remember the elation in 2012. Um, and I mean, if you, if you ever want a story podcast, which maybe we do this summer, we have like our Mount Rushmore of sports moments for us. Um, the elation and just the moment in 2012 when the cats won the national championship compared to just the complete basement feeling on Thursday night. I mean, it, that's the beauty of sports. And a lot of people will say, Oh, well, you shouldn't get that carried into this, you know, get carried this, that stop. Because as much as it was a pain to number one, have to go to work on Friday I will say the people who I work with, I love them like family because it wasn't, oh, you know, how look what happened. They're like, are you okay? Like we're legit, like they legitimately were sorry, right. which was nice. Right. Um, but anyone who like, this is the beauty of sports, right? Like writing and, you know, writing the highs and dealing with the lows that are completely out of your control is the beauty of sports. Yeah. And, and I think you know, we both felt it over the last two weeks. Yeah, there's no doubt. And as you said, like the sun will come up, um, you know, this is what, what do sports fans do when their team struggles, right? They already start looking towards next year. I mean, like, your okay. fandom were, I mean, for a hundred plus years, for right. baseball was there's always next year. Right, exactly. And you know, and that I'm actually sitting in my man cave now looking at the success of that one year that finally came for the Cubs. But um when it comes to Purdue, um you know, deciding that the Boilers are bringing in an four, seven foot two guy in Zach Eady four seven he this guy shoots He's kind of like one of the overseas. Uh, where he shoots outside and handles the ball. 
So that's pretty exciting for Purdue. Um, their guard, Fletcher Lloyd, just won the national three-point contest uh, in high school basketball in New Orleans this past weekend. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, they're, they're bringing in some studs. Um, is It just depends on, you know, Isaiah Thompson. I don't know if you heard Josh. He transferred. He's he, yeah, he's transferring too. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> and as far as people leaving, uh, St. Peter's coach, less than 90 minutes after his team leaves, it gets leaked that he's leaving to go to uh, Seton Hall. Right. Big yikes on that one. Right. Um, thanks for the success. I'm going to go get, get my bag now, which you can't correct. Right. No, I, he's got to go get his bag. I mean, I, you have to go make that money. Um, so, hey, closing out the podcast today, uh, only right that we get some picks. Um, and as a throwback, much like Shakira, our picks don't lie. Uh, and to recap our bracket challenge, um, gross. I, I just you just gross. Uh, Papa Russ will be our LR Weekly Group champion. Um, you coming in second? I'm coming in third. Uh, P Russ coming in fourth. Beth bringing up the rear. Um, <laughs> My mom had Tennessee winning the national championship. I love mom. She she was riding high with the volunteers and how well they were playing. Um, but unfortunate for her, it did not pan out past the first weekend. So congrats to Papa Russ on that. Uh, yep. First game of the night on Saturday, Villanova, Kansas. Um, again, this this basketball game to me, I think you take the storylines away from Duke Carolina, which obviously you can't do. You talk Duke Carolina, the storylines, the history, the rivalry, that's all part of it. Um but for my money, this has the ch- a chance to be the game of the tournament with Villanova and Kansas. Um, if Villanova can slow Kansas down, I think it'll be very interesting to see how Kansas reacts to a half-court basketball game against the knockdown, drag-out, half-court fistfight style of Villanova. Christian? Yeah? I'm taking Nova. Wow. That that's huge. Uh, I'm not. I'm taking Kansas. I think right now there there is no stopping the Okay, please stop. Okay, sorry. Um, I'm rolling with I'm rolling with Kansas. Uh, I think right now they're my pick to win the national championship. Um, I I just what Bill Self does with his teams are just always getting them into a competitive edge in March. And so I'm rolling with the Jayhawks. And then uh, the primetime matchup Saturday, Duke Carolina. Um, I, I'm rolling with Duke right now. I mean, I UNC played really well, um, but I think <laughs> Coach K has his players playing on a different level. Um, so I'm going to take Duke in that second matchup. Give me the gif of Coach K falling down on the sideline. <laughs> you have been wanting to use that gif all tournament long. I have. Um, I'm not the only one. Shout out uh, Big Cat, Barstool Big Cat. Uh, he 
is all he created shirts with that gif on it for the tournament and he <laughs> literally rides with any team that plays duke throughout the entire tournament that's all he does <laughs> is rolls with the team that um is playing duke and i'm doing the same i'm rolling with unc right now unc's playing probably is probably of these four teams is the most dangerous team in this final four because when they're hot they're very difficult to stop from a defensive standpoint. When you got a big man that can step out and hit threes and stretch the floor, when you got guard play like they do that can get off the dribble and get to the bucket whenever they want to, it's difficult to defend. Um, now, granted, Duke is a great basketball team. They, they got a lot of talent. But I'm rolling with the hot rather than the old man in his retirement so swan song i give me unc give me the tar heels give me K- kansas unc national championship kansas winning it all <clears throat> that's what i'm rolling with so Both. i'm gonna take nova to win the whole thing um mainly man i just don't want coach k to go out with a national championship i mean mm-hmm. i'm gonna be bitter i'm gonna be you know that guy i don't want him to go out with a national championship so i'm gonna take nova um, however, I would not be surprised at all if, uh, coach K and the devils, uh, squeak out a final four victory. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Um, we, we don't really have any plans yet, um, as to what's going to unfold after college basketball. I mean, we're going to have an NFL draft to talk about baseball is going to be there just might be a big cat who starts walking around northern Georgia in a week and a half. So plenty of good stuff to look forward to in the sports world. Uh, from us here at LR Weekly to you, enjoy the Final Four. <laughs>